Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Awesome. What's up, Elevate? How you feeling today? I'm going to make you stand all morning, okay? You, you, uh, so since he said it's CrossFit Sunday, uh, one of the things, and, and I know um, I appreciate what you said, uh, but one of the things I love about you and Kristen is the way you lead this church. And could you imagine for a moment with me what Erie would be like without them? That's right. Give them a big thanks. Huge thanks to the team. What God is doing here is not normal. And so I want you to turn to the person next to you and go, we're not normal, okay? We're not normal. And you can have a seat. You can have a seat. (laughs) Now, I know there are a couple of you, you're not saying it, but you're feeling it. You're a little disappointed Pastor Colby isn't speaking today. And if I were you, I'd be disappointed too. But I think uh, we'll have some fun together, if you'll allow me. And I think it'll be worth your time. Um, you really do have an incredible church here. I've already sent back. Yeah, that's right. You can woo-woo that. Woo-woo. I've already sent back pictures. I'm like, team, we need to do this. Okay, team, we need to do that. Yeah, 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 I'm already driving them nuts. Uh, we're in the middle of at the movies, and so that gave me an opportunity to be here. And the truth is, um, churches aren't experiencing what you're experiencing in our current era, um, like what you're experiencing here. Uh, you're seeing lives changed, heavens being filled, hell's being emptied, God's name is being glorified. So I like it. You, you guys are rowdy today. This is good. If we haven't met, I want you to meet some of my favorite people on the planet. Uh, this is my wife, Lauren, and I think she's coming up here. Our family. <laughs> hey, we've been doing great. Oh, oh, oh. What happened to my picture? Well, I, I, I've been married for 20 years. She's beautiful. <laughs> I want you to imagine. Oh, there it was. Oh, come back. That's right. So, uh,. That's uh, my wife, Lauren. We've been married for over 20 years. We met at the University of Toledo. And then my oldest daughter is all the way on the right. Her name is Lydia. Uh, she is a, an incredible writer. And uh, God's using her to do incredible things. I brought my son, Sam, with me. I think he's hanging out out there somewhere. He's sick of hearing me talk. He hears me all the time. Uh, he is the tallest one in the family. That's his only request, is that you all know. I know it's not saying much, but he's the tallest one in the family. Then I've got Noah, and the exclamation point to our family is Mary there. And I actually love watching uh, Pastor Colby and and Kristen lead their family. I want to be the cool dad like uh, Colby is. I think he's making an incredible difference in your kids' lives. And you're a couple stages ahead of me, so I'm watching you carefully, bro. Okay? Colby asked me to kick off a series called Kingdom Come. And uh, so when I say the word kingdom... Uh, When you hear that phrase, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear kingdom? Heaven. Oh, yeah, a lot of people think of heaven. Uh, Some people think of castles. Anybody think of castles? Anybody? A few of you? Okay. Yeah. How many of you thought of the crown? Nobody. Okay. Oh, we got one. You thought of the crown. Okay. Or you just wanted your hand in the air. That's cool. Game of Thrones. Anybody? Game of Thrones. Anybody think? Nope. Nobody thought of that. Okay. Apparently you don't watch that here. 
It's a strange word when you think of it, really. We don't use it that often, and I don't think we really know what it means. For example, you'll hear men say, I'm the king of the castle, but we know that ain't true, okay? <laughs> That's not true. A kingdom, let's look at the definition. A kingdom is a place where someone or something has a strong influence, okay? I tried to suggest a paint color for our living room, and the look that my wife gave me reminded me I'm not king of the castle. <laughs> She's the queen, and my job's, I'm the king of the grass, okay? She'll let me go out in the lawn, and I take great pride in what happens with the grass, but that's about, that's about it. But there are kingdoms all around us where someone or something has incredible influence. For example, Steeler fans. There's some booze. Buffalo fans. Okay. Cleveland fans. Okay. Detroit fans. Sad. We're, we're going to be friends. We're going to be friends, okay? Because in Toledo, I got to deal with Detroit fans. It's terrible. Okay. How many of you, you have Penn State fans? Okay. Ohio State fans? They're always the most obnoxious, okay? Always. Michigan fans? Woo! I thought more highly of Pennsylvania than right now, okay? Sheesh, Notre Dame fans? Woo! I'm a huge Notre Dame fan, so I, I live in Toledo. It's a border town. You know, we got this, <laughs> we got this battle all the time. Uh, I know some of you play pickleball. I know Pastor Colby does. You know who's king of the pickleball court? <gasps> Pastor Colby. He took me, he's like, hey, let's play some pickleball last night. And I've never sweat so much in my life. He had me all over the court while he's over there like boop, boop, you know, just having fun with me. Kingdoms are all around us. You turn on the TV, companies are trying to exert their influence, promising some benefit to your life. There, there are external kingdoms, and sometimes there are desires within us for our own kingdom, and kingdom is one of the things that Jesus talked about the most. In fact, if you want a fresh way to read through one of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Just read it and highlight every time you hear Jesus mention the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. You'll see it everywhere. My concern is that it's a word that we don't use all that often, and so we hear it like we know it, but we miss the power and promise that it can bring our life. So what I want to invite you to do is to take a deep breath, literally, because if your Sunday is like the Sundays of people in Toledo, you all are working through a lot. And sometimes it's like, oh, what's coming up this week or what happened last week can fill our mind. And what I want to invite you to do is just to pray that prayer that we just sang. God, I'm listening. In the quietness of your heart, I'm listening. There is a prayer that is uh, common for many of us. Some of you grew up in church reciting it. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It was Jesus' way of teaching his followers how to pray. And so we're going to say this opening line, just this opening line out loud together. The prayer starts this way. Our Father who art in heaven. I think that's important. And when I was a kid and I heard that, I thought it meant... Like a father was arting, like doodling somewhere up in the clouds, you know, but uh, it's interesting old language for us. What Jesus is teaching is that God is like family. He's accessible, which is unique 
especially in the context where Jesus was teaching and leading. Our Father is like family. Our Father who is in heaven, what's that second sentence? Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, an old word. Holy, sacred, set apart, unique. And so God is accessible. He's like family, and he's holy. He's separate, and he's set apart. Jesus is inviting us to live in this unique tension, holding them both together around who God is. After that, the next thing that he taught us is to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think this is one of the most overlooked phrases of the Lord's Prayer. We say it, but because kingdom is weird, we kind of don't know what to do with it. And so we typically, we know, we, we know what's next. And what's next is give us this day our daily bread, right? It's like, oh, come on, think about your prayer life. What is it that you pray for? Maybe you're better at this than I am, but most of my prayers are like, God, help me. God, protect me. God, give me. God, heal me or someone that I know. And I don't think there's anything wrong with those prayers. I just think what's interesting is where Jesus teaches us to begin is with God. And then his kingdom come before we ever get to our needs or our little kingdoms. Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, recorded Jesus saying it this way. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to spend a few minutes there. But in Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you a couple crumbs. Uh, You know, just barely enough. No, he'll give you everything that you need. Like when, when we believe this and trust this to be true we experience God in a unique way but most of my interactions with God not most but sometimes the temptation for me is to interact with God like a teenager you have and we have teenagers you know I've got a couple it's like hey dad I need money okay (laughs) dad I need the car okay dad I need you to take me here dad I need this and when I say like I can't or no he's like it's almost like who do you think I am (laughs) I'm, I'm, you know, and I think we do the same thing with God if we're not careful. See, the principle that Jesus is teaching in this verse is this. God's kingdom provision starts with his kingdom perspective. If we want what God has to offer, it begins by seeing and seeking what he sees in our world. God has access to everything that you and I need. He has access to more than you can imagine. And he actually loves to bless his kids. Jesus taught this again and again and again. At one point he was telling the story of you, speaking to the crowds, to you and me. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Like he loves to bless his kids. And so if you want to experience that in your life, it begins by seeking his kingdom come. So over the next few weeks, you're going to be hearing about what does that look like? Because the truth is, you're not going to experience the best that God has to offer if you walk in to this place or into your life like you own the place. Question, how many of you, uh, are you, are you dog people here or cat people here? Dog? dog. Cat? Dog? We, we're, we're, we love dogs, okay? So 
we, uh, we have a dog named Ramona from Beezus and Ramona. Is she cute? That's right. Every day when I come home, she comes blitzing around the corner, and she's got one of those, like, whole body wags, you know? Like, she can't help it, jumping around a little bit. She will cuddle, and she will let me throw that ball for hours. In fact, she insists. She's a play hard, like, rest hard kind of dog. It's great. Uh, are there any cat people here? A few people? Yeah, yeah. Freedom is available for you, okay? You can be free. There is a difference between cats and dogs. Maybe you've heard this before. The dogs, a dog is like, you feed me, you care for me, you must be God. And a cat, they're like, you feed me, you care for me, I must be God. And that's the difference. Freedom is available for you, okay? Sometimes... I wonder if, if we have a bit of a cat mindset when it comes to God. It's like, oh, you, you feed me, you care for me, I must be really God. And the songs that we sing, the worship songs that we sing, I think the, the lyrics are great, but it's, sometimes it's like, I, I deserve a touch of heaven in my life. Like, yeah, you, you gave your life for me. And so we expect God to bring our kingdom come. And so the question is, what kingdom do you really want to be a part of? Like, what kingdom are you building? I, I want to talk about that today because the first place, if you want a really clear picture of knowing which kingdom you're invested in right now, you know one of the first places you can look? It's right here. It's your money. Yeah, it always gets really quiet whenever I bring that word up, you know? It's like, oh, here we go. And the truth is, I know for some of you, already there's a switch that's flipped, like, ugh. Or some of you, maybe you're like, wrong weekend to bring a friend, you know? It's like, I should have should have slept in, you know? Should have known, right? Here we go. What do you call these space maker Sundays? where you come back next week and there's more space, you know? Well, I'm just here for one weekend, okay? So if you don't like the talk, you can email me at bens at cedarcreek.tv. But the, the truth is, there's not a whole lot that we have in common. I mean, different ages, different stages, backgrounds, jobs, all of that. But money is one thing that every single one of us have in common. And to those of you that have been in a church environment where you felt guilted or manipulated or pressured, you won't experience any of that from me today, okay? That's not what this is about. Uh, in fact, one of the things I love about this church is the way that they talk about and don't pressure financially you to give. I also appreciate the way that they steward the resources because we've all seen in the headlines the way that pastors misuse or abuse people's generosity. And so if we could set that aside for a moment and just look at what God's word has to say, there are over 22,300 verses in the Bible that mention the use of or talk about money. 15% of Jesus' teachings mention this. So if Jesus talked about it and we call ourselves Jesus' followers, we should probably understand a little bit of what Jesus teaches as it relates to our money and what it can teach us about our life because money's not a financial thing for him. It's not a practical thing for him. Money is not an evil thing. That's right, you heard me. It's the love of money. You know that, right? That's the root of all evil, not money itself. Money is actually a mirror. 
It's a spiritual issue that can reveal a lot about our lives. And there is something that God teaches that has the power to be incredibly transformative in your life. And so here's where Jesus starts. You know this verse, many of you do. And if not, you've probably heard something like it before. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Where your money goes, your heart follows. And if you want your heart to go somewhere, send your money there. If you've ever bought stock in anything or cryptocurrency or any of that stuff, suddenly what you never paid attention to for months prior, you're looking at them on a daily or weekly basis. I wonder how that stock is doing today. Why? Because you sent your money there and your heart almost always follows. As a Notre Dame fan, when Notre Dame is playing well, I'm looking at the gear, the sweatshirts, the hats, the stuff. And after they lost to Louisville, I'm like, I'll wait till next year. You know, it's like no big deal. For my kids, the kid that I love the most, Gets the most money. <laughs> Sam, are you watching? Okay. <laughs> Do the math. I'm just kidding. They're always doing the math. <laughs> it's not fair, Dad. <laughs> How many of you love fall? How many of you love fall? That's right. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand in the air if you spent some money on fall, but I promise you, you fall people go crazy. It's like sweater weather. I need a new sweater, you know? <laughs> Pumpkin spice latte, smoke, whatever, you know? It's like the decorations come out, right? <laughs> And the truth is, we all use money for different things that we care about. And if we don't care about it, we're not spending our money that way. But when you boil it down, you can only use your money to do three things. Or you can only use money three ways. You can spend it, you can save it, and you can give it. That's it. Simply put, those are our three options when it comes to money. And that is typically the order that we use our money in. We spend it, and if we have some left over, we save it. And if we have some left over, we give it, all right? And what Jesus is teaching is the way in which you use your money, it reveals your heart. It, the way that you prioritize your money reveals how you see the world. It reveals whose kingdom you're focused on. And here's something that I believe is true about all of you. I actually think you all want to be generous. Like, I've never met a person that's like, nope, no more generosity from me. Like, we all want to be generous, but when we look at our financial life, we don't feel like we can. When we look at our financial life and it comes to generosity, here's what we think. We think, you know what? If I just had a little bit more, I'd be generous. Have you ever thought that? I've thought that. If I, you know, God, I know there's a Powerball coming up, and I know there's probably mixed feelings about the lottery, so. But if you, if you would allow me to win, I could probably put some of that money to good use. <laughs> you, know, you know, like, if you let me win, God, I'll give some of it to the church. If I had a little bit more, I'd be more generous. But let's be honest. What do you do when you get more money? You spend it. I do too, right? It's like, woohoo, we're going out to dinner, or I'm buying the new thing, or we're looking for a new car, or whatever, whatever that new thing is. I mean, I imagine some of you are making more money now than you ever thought you would make in your life, and your finances are still tight. Or you're making more than you were 10 years ago, and your finances are still tight. And I know some of you are retired. You're like, not me, man. I used to make more, whatever. But Jesus knows this. The more money you get, you'd be in the same place wanting just a little bit more. And you're not alone. Even the people who make six figures, around $100,000 to $200,000, you know what they think they need? Five times what they have. They, they feel like that would be enough. When more drives your life, you never have enough. It's why Jesus pushes a little bit further in the next verse. He says, no one can serve two masters. You can't have two kings. You can't. 
For you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to, you think you would say Satan. You can't serve God and be enslaved to sin or idolatry, but he doesn't. He said you can't serve God and be enslaved to money of all of the words. That's the one that he put there. Because Jesus knows what we forget. You can't have two firsts. You can't have two kings. You can't have two gods in your life. There is only one God, and you're either bringing your life in submission to that truth, or you're trying to do life your own way. And money has a sneaky way of becoming king in our life and setting our priorities, guiding our decisions. And so what does Jesus ask us to do in this passage? It's not what you think. He says, don't worry about these things. That's interesting. Some of you thought he was give. No. The first thing that he is revealing is stop worrying about these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These are the things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. These are the things that dominate the kingdom of earth, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Jesus knows there's two ways that you are going to interact with your world, the world that he created. A scarcity mindset, worrying about whether you have enough. And who worries about whether they have enough? People who don't believe in him or people who have an abundance mindset. They, they realize that there's more than enough for all of us. They realize that they have a Father in heaven who is aware and can provide for all that you need. When you have a scarcity mindset, there's a limited amount of resources, which means when somebody else gets more, it means less for you, which is why we get competitive, why we get jealous. Or when we get something more, we hold tight to it because we know there's a limited amount of resources and we know we might not get another chance like this. And so we hold really tightly to it. And Jesus is trying to break through that. He goes on to talk about how the flowers of the field, look how beautifully they're dressed. More splendor than the King Solomon because God provides for them. And the birds of the air, they don't worry. God provides for them. In other words, God has more than enough for you're not enough. And so you can live with a scarcity mindset and worry about these things and let worry and fear drive your life or you can begin to move your heart in the direction of your heavenly father. See, the truth is you can be successful in guarding your stuff. You can hold tightly onto it, but what you will miss is what God, your heavenly father, has for you. You will miss the joy of experiencing God provide for you in unique ways. Why? Because your hands are closed. God can't put in your hand something that you're not willing or open to receive see the opposite of generosity is not greed it's fear and some of you have been living in fear especially financial fear your whole life you don't know another way to live this is why jesus says don't worry so what does jesus ask us to do instead of worry he says this you've already read it seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. Seek his kingdom above all and watch him provide. So how, how do we do that practically? Like what does that actually look like in our life? Like how do we seek the kingdom of God? We move our hearts there. 
We move our hearts towards the kingdom of God. And how do we move our hearts? We flip the order. We give first, we save, and then we spend or live on the rest. Ultimately, this is what Jesus is inviting us to do. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can do what you want. My hope is that at some point, you would realize what Jesus has given for you, for not just your life here, but for eternity, and surrender your life to him. But if if you're not a follower, the studies show that being generous is also beneficial for your well-being. That's what the science says. For those of you who do follow Jesus, I'm convinced that this is one of the most catalytic spiritual steps you can take in your life. Those of you that have taken this step already, you know it to be true. And you know it's a little scary, like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. And so often it's talked about so poorly. The challenge is, it feels impossible, it feels scary, or you're, you're, some of you are just going, well, what does that actually mean? You're like, well, well, let me explain it to you. There's an Old Testament proverb that says it this way. Honor the Lord, your God, honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything that you produce, and then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Anyone need good wine today? Okay. I mean, you, if you take that literally, you're like, whoa, all right. I mean, this is a proverb. Proverb means wisdom, but proverb is also a promise. It's similar to what Jesus said. Seek the kingdom of God first, and he'll provide everything that you need. I mean, the bottom line, the way that I put it is this. It's trust God first, and he will bless the rest. Simply put. When we learn how to trust God first, he'll take care of everything else. The biblical practice of trusting God first and watching him bless the rest is called, biblically, it's called first fruits. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. It's called first fruits. What is first fruits? Well, back then they didn't have like cryptocurrency and bank accounts and all of that stuff like we have today. Instead, instead they literally had fruit, okay? So like... We weren't trying to be super creative. It's the first of whatever it is that you produce. This is how God would provide for them. They would see the trees and the ground and the plants, and they would be like, God made this. I wanted to, it wasn't just fruits and produce. It's also goats and cows and sheep. I tried to talk Colby into bringing a cow out here. I mean, that would have really brought the metaphor home. Could you imagine that? It'd be amazing. (laughs) And potentially disastrous all at the same time. So if you don't like this analogy, it's Colby's fault. Okay. So God provides all of this for us, and what does that proverb say? Honor the Lord with the best part of your produce. And so you're like, well, our family lives on this. Like, what does that actually mean? Like, we, we may actually need this to live, right? So, like, what do you mean the best part? Like, that, does that mean all of it or some of it or what? And that's where you get the benchmark called the tithe. Maybe you've heard that phrase. Maybe you thought that's what, you know, that's the only thing that's mentioned in the Bible. The tithe is simply a benchmark for first fruits. It means tenth or 10%. So if I have 10 pineapples up here, anybody like pineapple? Yeah, yeah, it's so good, right? A tenth is one of the 10. I'm going to honor, I'm going to trust, I'm going to give God one tenth. If uh, we have this, what's this stuff here? Um, Not zucchini, squash, yeah. Anybody like this stuff? Grilled out, come on, you know that's good. All right, I I have about 20 of those, so I'm gonna give two. 
Uh, I've got about 30 apples, so that's three. Just testing your math, okay? We, you play along. That's good. Three of those. I, these are, I think these are, are these turnips? Yeah, does anybody eat these? Some? Oh, yeah, I see a few hands. All right, so I got about 10 of those. Great, so we're going to give one of that. I don't, what is this stuff here? Okra? Okra. Is this good? God, you can have all of that. <laughs> I don't want it. I don't want it. <laughs> Got about 20 potatoes, so that's two of those, and about 100 grapes. So uh, we'll get 10, all right? So here we go. Maybe you're asking, like, why a tenth? Like, why did God choose that? I think a couple reasons. The first is the tenth is accessible. It's accessible and it scales for everybody. So instead of asking everybody to give the same amount, see, the truth is some of you have a lot and some of you feel like you have barely enough. And yet we can all equally honor God with the first of what little or what much wealth that we have. The second reason is because I think throughout the Bible, you'll, you start to see the number 10 I want you to think about it. I'm going to invite you into a little quiz. We'll test your Bible knowledge. Ten is symbolic. How many commandments did God give the Israelites? Oh, good. You know that one. How many plagues did God bring to Pharaoh? That's right. Okay, here's another one. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? Oh, it's less of you know that. It's ten. Okay, so I think you get the idea here. How many, uh, how many times, this is a tricky one, how many times was Jacob's wages changed with Laban? Ten. ten. You guys know this. Oh, wow. How many horns on the beast are mentioned in Daniel? Ten. Yeah, I, okay, now you're getting it. How many virgins did Jesus talk about? Ten. How many disciples did he recruit? Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> Who said 10? <laughs> Jeez. 10 is, is really an invitation to trust. It's a test. If you look at all of those mentions of 10, it's like, hey, will you trust? Pharaoh, do you think you're king? Or will you trust that I am? Will you trust me? Or will you go your own way? Tithing is an invitation. First fruits is an invitation to trust God. It's rooted in the belief that God's kingdom is the only kingdom there is. And I'm going to believe that when I seek his kingdom first, he'll provide for all that I need. So which is better? Which would you rather have? 100% of your stuff in your hands, under your control, or 90% of it that's blessed by your heavenly father? I mean, that's what it comes down to. Either you think you're better with it than God is, or you're going to start to seek his kingdom first. In fact, in the Old Testament, God issues a dare. In the book of Malachi, it's he, through the prophet Malachi to the nation of Israel, he says, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings. You've stolen them. You've stolen what is mine. You are under a curse. Your whole nation has been cheating me. You're under a curse. It seems like harsh language, but think about this. Anytime we resist the grace, the presence, the work, the invitation of God, when we move away from him, suddenly all of life falls on our shoulders. 
It feels like a burden. We feel cursed, don't we? And so what does God ask them to do? Well, here's what he says. He says, bring all of the tithes into the storehouse so there, there, there will be enough food in my temple. Bring the tithe to the temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it all in. If you trust me first, I'll provide for you. That's what he's saying. And it's interesting because he uses the word bring. He doesn't say give. Why? Bring implies ownership. Give would be something that you own that you are offering to somebody who doesn't own it. God's like, it's all mine. Bring the portion that I've asked for. He he doesn't say, go and find organizations that you love. He says, bring to me what's mine because it's all his. Does he need it? I mean, does he need this amount? No. Is, Is it... Is there something magical about, for him about this? No, God's not interested in your resources. He wants a relationship with you. And he knows that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he knows that you can't serve two masters. And so he can't bring his kingdom come in your life if you're trying to build your own. I mean, God's saying, trust me first, and you'll experience the blessed life. Does this mean you'll get the Corvette that you want, that at least I want? You know, like, okay, I give, and God's going to give me riches. I'll be the richest person in Erie. You know, it's like, no. I mean, I believe that God can bless in that way, and sometimes he does. But this isn't like a get-rich-quick scheme. This is really about experiencing God in a personal and powerful way. In fact, in this invitation, God doubles down. Look at what he says at the end. He says, try it. Put me to the test. It's like, I dare you. It's the only time in the Bible God issues a dare to his people. Test me. Try me. Trust God first. He's like, I'll bless the rest. And so maybe it's time for you to shift your heart towards God and his kingdom in your heart, in your family, in your life. If that's the spirit God's inviting you to take, the spirit, if the spirit of God is saying, hey, trust me in this area, then I would encourage you to listen and not just make it like, ah, maybe there's some fear and some concern that needs to be let go. Like, whose kingdom have you been building? And whose kingdom do you want? There's another interesting note here. It says, where does he tell people to bring the tithe? into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. That's interesting, temple. He says, bring the tithe to the temple. He doesn't say, be generous with the first fruits and give it to people that you think deserve it. The first gift that we give is to the temple. And what happened at the temple? That's where the priests and Levites were. And what did the priests and Levites do? They used these resources Yes, in part for themselves, but their role as priests and Levites were to help bring the kingdom of God and make it accessible for people, connecting people with the kingdom of God and connecting the kingdom of God with the people. And they would also provide for people in need, care for those who were hurting, help reconcile people who were fighting and show up and reunite families. That was their role in the, you know, in the nation of Israel. 
It's much like a local church in a community today. The church is the mechanism, it's God's mechanism by which He brings His kingdom to earth. It's how His kingdom comes to Erie, Pennsylvania. Jesus talked about this with His disciples. He took His disciples on a little road trip to uh, Caesarea Philippi, and He's having a conversation with them, and He's like, hey, who are, what, what are people saying about me? You know, on the, you know, on, you can't call it Twitter anymore, you know, on X. <laughs> on TikTok, you know, like, what are they saying about me? You're John the Baptist. You're Elijah. You're a prophet. And then he asks them the question that ultimately we will all face. Who do you say that I am? And Peter's like, you're the Messiah. You're like, you're the son of God. You are God's anointed. And here's Jesus' response. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, the truth that Peter declared in the company of the disciples, this truth among people who follow me, upon this rock I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. It's the first time Jesus uses the word church. He's casting vision for what you and I are now a part of today. Peter, it's upon this truth that I will start a movement of people who follow me as their king and experience me as their provider and will bring the kingdom, right, to their local community. It's, it'll be a movement so powerful that hell and all that is evil and all that is dark won't be able to stop it. It's powerful. And he doesn't stop there. To cast vision, look at what he says next. He says, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I will give you keys to the kingdom of God. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Now, some people, this is where they come to the conclusion that Peter's standing at the gate, determining who gets in and out. That's not, I don't think that's what Jesus was teaching here. He says, hey, upon this rock, upon this truth, there will be a movement of people who are given keys. You know what a key does? A key unlocks what? Doors, gates. It's like, hey, when there's a movement of people who see me as their king and allow God's kingdom to come, not just in their heart, but alive in their church, that church will unlock on earth what is unlocked in heaven. And it will bind up on earth what is bound up in heaven. When a local church is seeking God's kingdom first, there is no power in hell that can stop the grace and goodness of God. And so giving, ultimately, regardless of what you've been taught or you're heard, giving is ultimately this. It's deliberately ordering your finances to seek and trust God's kingdom first and then learning how to live on the rest. Trusting God to provide for the rest. It shifts your focus away from scarcity to abundance. From trying to keep it all to trusting the God who has it all. From fear to generosity and freedom. From my kingdom to God's kingdom come, right? And so what kingdom have you been living for? I mean, think about what God's kingdom is like. When we trusted His grace and His forgiveness, what did it bring? Freedom. It brought joy brought an awareness of love regardless of who you are or what you've done don't you want more of that kingdom in your life and in your community i know i do so what step do you need to take today 
to begin to bring God's kingdom come to your heart, to your family, to your church, and to your community. And I, I know, I know, I know. I'm not pressuring you, and I'm not telling you what. I'm just asking you to go, God, what step are you inviting me to take? Maybe just try it. Like he said, test me. Now through the end of the year, take a step of faith and watch God show up in your life. There are people sitting out there right now that have taken this. Some of you are smiling at me because you know. And if I were to invite you up here to share stories of how taking this step has changed you personally, we would be here for hours listening to stories about how hard it was, how scared I was, and yet I'm not sure there's anything more catalytic than what God has done in my life through that. So I want you to take a minute and just be reflective and the quietness of your heart, say, God, what, are you, what step are you inviting me to take? I don't think he's guilting anyone. God loves a cheerful giver. And so God, we ask that you would build your kingdom first in our hearts, in our families. And God, I ask that you would continue to unlock the power of darkness and hell in this community through this local life-giving church. God, may this movement of people with their sights set on you, continue to trust you in every area of their life. God, may they begin to experience personal freedom in ways that unlock doors of forgiveness and hope and healing and help and even more, generosity for the people of Erie, Pennsylvania and beyond. God, may this community see you with fresh eyes because of the work you do through this church, not just now, but in the years to come. And God, may we, as a result, experience you, the greatest blessing of all. Thank you for inviting us to be an integral part, the mechanism by which you bring your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so encourage us on that adventure with you, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There will be some practical resources to help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate, go to elevatechurch.com give. Thank you for living generously. We hope you enjoyed this message. Have a great week.